0: Hi, I'm Pete Seligman. Welcome to The Next Step Podcast. In this season, we're going to be focusing on search, search funds, entrepreneurship through acquisition, and all things related to that community and that ecosystem, particularly focusing on how can we build the marketplace in Australia and start to encourage more searchers to come to market and get to the point where they can own, operate their own business. In this episode of The Next Step Podcast, I speak to Nima Sedigat Nima is a partner at Australian law firm HWL Ebsworth and is co-founder of Wayfinder Capital. For almost 15 years, he has been advising business owners, executives, Australian and foreign investors and sponsors on restructures, mergers, acquisitions and investment transactions. And since 2017, he's been active in the Australian search fund ecosystem, having advised on structuring the first traditional search fund in Australia. In 2020, he also co-founded Wayfinder Capital, the first institutional fund of search funds and searcher-led transactions in Australia. So clearly he's got a fair bit of experience to share with us today, not only in relation to legal and structuring issues, but also in relation to the Australian search fund ecosystem. In this conversation, I had a great time getting into a bit of the nitty-gritty detail from a legal perspective in relation to the search fund structure which I think is something that can be an unnecessary hurdle for those people thinking about search as a career path. Trying to consider the legal and tax implications of the search fund structure can be daunting, but having the confidence to know that there are people in Australia that have considered the application of the commercials of a search fund in this jurisdiction from a legal and tax perspective is great. And it's really great to have people like Nima in our community here who can help people come to market. So I hope you really enjoy the conversation, and feel free to reach out to Nima if you've got any questions. The link will be in the show notes. G'day Nima, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. It's great to have you here.
1: Thanks Pete, it's great to
0: be here. Yeah, and just before we got on, you mentioned that you've been in the water a fair bit this month. What have you been That's up to? That's right Pete.
1: <laughs> I've uh, signed up for SurfAid's Make A Wave campaign, where for those that don't know, SurfAid's uh, NGO that tries to target basic health needs of women and children in remote villages which are often quite close to amazing waves that as surfers we like to travel to and my end of the bargain is committing to surfing every day in September which at the outset sounded great but the body's feeling it I tell you what and then trying to do a bit of fundraising as well so it's a
0: lot of good, good. fun. That's good. Well, we'll make sure we put a link in the show notes so people can jump on board. But it's interesting when you sign up for those challenges at the beginning, you're like, oh, that'll be just lots of fun. You know, I'll just go surfing every day. And then you suddenly realize that it's actually hard work. There's a reason why professional surfers are actually athletes. (laughs) Correct. Correct. No, fantastic. Oh, that's good. That's good. And it's it's probably a little bit of a cold time of year to be doing that, particularly down in SA. But I imagine that you've got a reasonable steamer.
1: Wearing quite a thick uh, wetsuit and boots as well. The ice cream headache has started to subside. The water's warming up just slightly, but I think it's hovering at about 14 or 15 Mm. degrees at the moment.
0: Yeah, that can be a little bit of a sting when you first get in. Well, Well, that's right. That's fantastic. Well, I think today's going to be a really interesting conversation for a bunch of people that listen to these, particularly on the legal front, because I know that it's something that can be a bit... Foreign to a lot of people. So it'd be great to get your input into that conversation. But before we get going, can you just give us a little bit of a background on yourself and then kind of from there, how you got involved in search?
1: So I'm a partner in HW Ebsworth, which is a full service commercial law firm with offices all around the country. I'm based currently in SA, have been practicing out of New South Wales for a long time. And before that, spent about, well, it's coming on to about 15 years where I've been advising on MA transactions, mostly private MA, but with a mix of big four accounting firms and law firms. In addition to that, I'm also involved in leadership capacity with the firm's management advisory council, which is really good to look at things from a different lens, strategy and key risks to the business. But it was in my role as a partner at HW Erbsworth or HWLE as I'll refer to it, that I came across search. And I was introduced to, if I kind of use the express expression, an informed searcher who kind of came to Australia wanting to deploy the search fund model, being aware of it. And his name was Nick Bamford, which a lot of people in the community know well. And the person that introduced me to Nick said, I've got this a uh, friend who wants to understand everything about fund structuring in Australia. And I thought to myself, okay, I've got this, give them the A to Z to, on funds and structuring because structuring and also taxes is, is core to my practice and expertise. And uh, I remember we set aside about 45 minutes or an hour. Nick and I jump on the phone and within about five minutes he says to me, so have you have you heard about search funds? And I was like, oh, no, he stumped me five minutes in. (laughs) And that's really how my journey with search began. And the way search is, as you know, Pete, in the community and ecosystem, anyone who's got an interest in search and something to offer tends to get introduced to all the other people in the community. And Nick introduced me to Alex Simmons, who is probably the first searcher in Australia to raise a traditional fund. And that was quite an exciting journey for Search and HWL Ebsworth and myself because we essentially took the tried and tested model out of the US, which has also been applied in Europe and applied a corporations law lens, which my partner, Jamie Restus, and a special counsel in his team, Shane Lloyd lead and a taxation law lens to create what we call an Australianized search fund model from a legal perspective.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And I really concur with your comments around kind of as soon as you open the door to search and the community, and then you sort of have a chat to the first person very, very quickly, you find introductions to the next and the next and the next. It's, it's a very collegiate community and a lot of people willing to share their time and and expertise on it, both here and also offshore.
1: Absolutely, Pete. And I think you find at the core of search is this idea of backing a person and the individual and the people that are drawn to search are Uh, naturally drawn to that concept so it's really brilliant because you're surrounded by all these like-minded individuals and bringing it back to kind of the legal side of things if there's a a legal advisor that gets that concept is excited by it it's quite a interesting and dynamic relationship as between advisor and searcher
0: Mm, absolutely so what do you think kind of the key attributes of the search fund structure from a legal, if you put a legal lens on it, what kind of stands out in relation to the search fund structure and kind of secondary to that? What, if anything, is unique about that structure in Australia?
1: I would say the key thing, and this was by design of the search fund structure in Australia, is that it's been kept deliberately simple. We haven't gone and over engineered it by using fancy offshore onshore uh, hybrid type structures. It's at its core. It's a basic proprietary limited Australian company that a searcher sets up. Naturally, there's a, there's a little bit of machinations that kind of goes on in the background, um, but you have a standard company, That searcher will use to go and find the business that it acquires. And why a company is really good is they can do an asset transaction and the company will house those assets either within the company or some subsidiaries that it might set up, or they can purchase shares and it will still be owned by that company. Mm. From the perspective of investors, we've set up what's called what we refer to as a dual preference share structure because. We initially have to issue some securities or shares in that company to the, to the initial group of investors, if it's a traditional search fund where it's funded. And then we have to set up a mechanism whereby we can deliver the step up to mm. the investors as their reward for the additional risk that they've taken on by coming on board as an initial investor. So in its simplest form, your first class of PREF shares gets redeemed in consideration for the second-class preference shares, which are issued at a stepped-up value.
0: Right. Okay. So, it's so quite so
1: simplistic you, yeah. in that sense.
0: Yeah. So your structure issues a set of preference shares to raise the search capital. Correct. And, and the idea of those is that they're redeemable on the, an event, which is the acquisition, and so those shares get effectively swapped or redeemed For a new class of preference shares, which then are the acquisition shares that then have the preference characteristics of preferred returns and those things in preference to the... Exactly
1: right. Exactly right, Pete. And then if those initial investors choose to exercise their right to follow and invest, which as... you'd be aware is a preferential right, and that's hardwired into the legal documents that we've preferred, they will be issued ordinary shares in the company for their follow-on investment, just like any other investor would if they're making up a shortfall. But the key aspects that we're catering for is the step-up, the preference to follow-on invest, and we've also created a complete suite of documents that governs the search period which really is the kind of things that we talked about just now and then the what we refer to as the operational period yeah and why we think that's important is you want to go to your investors with your ppm or as we call an australian information memorandum that clearly sets out this is what you're investing in and this is what you will receive and from our perspective, we think it's even better to then spell out their rights and expectations as between the moment they invest to when there's an exit, mm. because that will save a lot of hassle in terms of going back and forth. It's time of acquisition. It sets expectations from day one and it allows the searcher to focus on, you know, the initial part of their journey, the key, key thing for them, which is the search. Hmm. which, as you know, it's quite an exhausting process and you don't want to get bogged down in legal matters.
0: Absolutely. And one of the things that I think has the potential to, to get complicated is the tax implications for the searcher themselves. Like, Quite often, even ignoring search, if you've got small business structures or even, frankly, big business structures where you've got incentive type programs that are linked to options or equity or some other right, it can get a little bit sticky from a tax perspective, particularly in relation to the time at which it's recognised as income, because often you can have that trigger a tax event where you've been issued a bunch of stock, which is on paper, and you've got a tax liability, which is a real cash concern for the for the searcher how have you thought about the implications because those equity triggers for the searcher are a big part of the structure for them you obviously don't want that to have a tax sting in the tail how has that kind of translated itself to the Australian environment in that structure
1: it's a great question and I guess Australia is lagging I'd say in relation to, uh, you know, if we just refer to it as employee equity and or sweat equity, and, and the way it's taxed comparative to say the US and other leading markets, where you know invariably if you don't structure it right, it does create that that sting or what we like to call the tax world a dry tax where. It triggers a tax liability, but nothing's actually been received in terms of realizable cash proceeds to actually fund that tax. So that's you know that's the worst possible outcome ever, where you have an unfunded unfunded tax liability. Mm. Um, but again, in our model, we've catered it in a in a manner that the searcher is issued a series of options at day one when they set up their search vehicle, and that, that's quite important because these options. Are taken to have no value for tax purposes at that point in time. Mm. But their options over their basically their entitlement to their ordinary equity in the company based on certain triggers. And we we basically divide it up in a similar way to what they do in the US in three tranches, where the first third will vest and be exercisable when there's an acquisition. The middle third will vest over four years on a monthly basis, and the final third will vest, depending on an IRR hurdle that's set and and achieved. And doing it that way is quite tax effective because whilst the searcher will have nominal cost base for tax purposes in their shares... That are issued once they exercise their option. There's there's no tax liability triggered until there's an economic realization of those shares, right. and that's that's a fair reflection of what the tax outcome should be.
0: Mm, absolutely, and I, and I think from a searcher's perspective, if even if their tax base is very low as a result, if it's five to ten years down the track when they're exercising, or well, well not exercising, when they're kind of crystallizing the value of that stock at that point in time to get taxed on that full realisation at that point is is I think completely fair and not least of which and probably most importantly they'll at least have the cash to pay it at that point, which Correct. is I think quite a big concern of, of the structure inherently. So it's good to hear because I, I think one of the concerns that you can have with some of these structures that from a commercial perspective come from offshore. So, you know, the commercial elements of a search have been designed predominantly based around the US market and so therefore they've only thought about the implications from a US tax perspective and when you bring the commerce to a different jurisdiction you need to try and achieve the commerce from an outcomes point of view whilst not triggering kind of punitive tax situation Um, so it's good that we've managed to navigate that.
1: We shouldn't lose sight of the fact that developing this Australianised model It took took a number of months. It was quite quite a process, whereby, you know, from a methodology perspective, we did exactly what you said, which is start with the U.S. base formal documents to make sure we're capturing as much of the uh, terms as is accepted, to then create this model that works for Australia. And to date, you know, our documents and our structure has been accepted by investors all around the world. So it's it's a real testament to what the search fund community globally wants to see and expects to see.
0: Yeah, and are there any just on that kind of international investment front? Have you seen any, or do you anticipate any issues obtaining foreign investment into the Australian-based search vehicle because of any of those factors? Like, or or, or have you managed to kind of cross? most of those hurdles? I mean, I know that there are a bunch of traditional search fund vehicles in Australia now that have foreign investments. So obviously, it's worked, but anything that Correct. national investors into Australia would need to be thinking about?
1: We were getting a little bit nervous last year when the government changed our foreign investment review board, FERB, requirements for when government approval was required for foreign investment in Australia. And the reason we got nervous was basically any any investment in an Australian entity, it was the net was broadened so far that we thought, oh boy, this, this could apply to search. But thankfully those those changes fell away and those rules are operating as they intend, which is basically investments in land-rich entities. And from a from the perspective of investing in a special purpose, newly incorporated Australian company, there's no government approvals required so so there's no real barriers as such
0: yeah yeah fantastic and then obviously those investors that are investing in that vehicle from a foreign location the vehicle itself is dealing with all of the domestic tax situation anyway and they're just getting a distribution so you know, I guess there's Correct. no kind of pollution from that point of view, anyway. So
1: no, and there should and there should be no tax leakage for foreign investors because generally, a foreign investor in an Australian business is only going to be brought into the Australian tax net if that Australian business its underlying asset base is majority land rich in Australia, and that isn't the type of business that yeah. our searchers are typically looking for. So, foreign investors on their on their dividends, they shouldn't have any further tax because the underlying Australian company has has already paid the tax on dividends that are distributed and they just need to manage their tax and regulatory regimes
0: in their home jurisdiction. Yeah no it's fantastic that was a a very technical conversation obviously (laughs) but I think you know for the benefit of some of the people that are either considering undertaking a search or considering investing in one having some comfort that they're has been some domestic thought put into what this structure looks like in this jurisdiction is really powerful because I think that it can be a little bit concerning, particularly when you think about the complexity or potential complexity of those commercial arrangements with options and other things. It's nice to know that some really deep thinking has gone into it. So yeah, really appreciate the the feedback on that level of detail. It's really good. Not a problem, Pete. And so to change tax slightly, another kind of feather to your cap is the the newly kind of minted Wayfinder fund that, that you guys are working on at the moment to really try and supercharge the search community here in Australia with some, some good backing from an investment perspective. Do you want to just give us a bit of an update on everything that's happening at Wayfinder at the moment?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Pete. And to kind of circle back to a point that we touched on right at the start. The ecosystem tends to connect everyone, as we said earlier, and it probably would have been about four years ago that I got connected to Ack and Louis were operating Second Squared out of of Perth and a searcher said to me, look, you're obviously keen as mustard on search ecosystem it's in his infancy you've really got to meet these guys because they're probably the only other people at that time that were really trying to see the ecosystem and so met the guys and naturally as most people that do when they meet them you just get along with them like a house on fire really great perspective that they bring to the table and over the last four odd years we've been sharing notes on searches the the ecosystem the community what we're seeing and you know that conversation just kept going and Wayfinder was born around this time last year where from my end and their end we were seeing that searchers are increasingly looking for a lead investor within Australia and equally the foreign investors are saying well who who is that lead investor in your in your cap table from a local perspective and independently each of us came to the realisation that there, there needs to be a fund in Australia. And so the fundraiser is going well. Uh, it's, it's on track. Commitments have been made to a number of searches, including an investment in one that we're both invested in. And it's really what we see as the next stage in terms of turbocharging. Mm. The, the ecosystem and, you know, if we refer to it in this way, the asset class in Australia. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it's quite rewarding to be able to take an investor lens to to these searches and just adds another element to the conversations that you have. Just yesterday, I was talking to a searcher in relation to how he wanted to structure an offer. I often have these conversations with searchers, even self-funded searches, where understanding the dynamics around how you can carve up a transaction offer from a legal perspective as well really adds an added element to how they can secure a transaction. But in that process, whilst we talked about the specifics of this offer that was proposed to be made, I just said, look wearing my investor hat, I actually don't like that offer. Mm. Uh, this is how you can do it from a legal perspective. And so it really, really adds a different element. And having you know dedicated search fund practice here at HW Ebsworth is great because I can make those introductions to searchers that are looking for that legal offering to Jamie and his team, mm. and then choose where, where I'm going to sit as an investor as opposed to an advisor.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think you're right. Like when I think about what we need in this market or what frankly any market needs for the asset class, there's all these different pieces of the puzzle. First of all, you need the available businesses to buy. <laughs> and and I think from an Australian perspective, we've got plenty of those that are in the right kind of size and frame and you know, the owners of those businesses are in the right stage of their life cycle from a business maturity perspective that they'd be interested in a conversation. You then need searchers, you need capable advisors and also you need investors. So it's almost like spinning plates trying to make sure they're all kind of spinning up at the same rate. So you're absolutely right. Having that, the two real benefits of having that domestic, effectively institutional fund is benefit to the searcher in terms of that foundational investment into their search as they're building their cap table, but benefit to offshore investors to say, okay, there's someone locally that not only has thought that it's a good idea to invest in this particular searcher, but actually has their boots on the ground there, which is really satisfying. You know, if you think about it, from us here investing in something in another market, it it gives you a lot of comfort to know that there's a local investor that's also in there on the cap table. So that contribution to the market is really powerful. What's your view? It's interesting speaking to various people in the market about the kind of inbound questions they're getting from people that are thinking about search which actually you know can take quite a long time you know you have the first idea a few months later you think about it again there's kind of this curve what's been your kind of recent experience with inbound inquiry from people that are thinking about doing a search and how does that what impression does that give you around the momentum we're creating for searches in the Australian market?
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting question, Pete, because uh, and and a timely question because I'd say in the last month or two or even the last quarter we've seen a real exponential increase in not only just interest, but people that are really committing to to searching. And you know, you could say it's coincidental, but I I'd, I'd argue that it absolutely isn't because it's people like yourself that are really drawing awareness To all the different elements that are required to really get this asset class humming. It's searches dropping constantly names around. Oh, have you got Wayfinder on your cap table? Have you spoken to XYZ investor? Have you spoken to Pete? So there's a real momentum around. Oh, right. So there's actually quite a lot going on here. And that's important from the perspective of confidence. I'm seeing a real uptick in terms of people that are really confident about committing to searching and without having all those pieces that you described it's hard to be confident because Mm. then you're in the mindset of am i actually doing something that's really groundbreaking here Mm. and Mm. unless you're alex simmons who did that you know a couple years ago and really trailblazed within australia it's really hard to take that step and really jump into that deep end. But when you see a a really vast support network across multiple spheres of investors, advisors, searchers, it really helps. I've I've found the searchers have that confidence to really commit to the process.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, And I think I'm seeing a similar thing. I was talking to a searcher just the other day and they were saying, you know, what's the likelihood that I'd actually be able to get a fund away, like that I'd actually be able to raise the search capital to get this started. And and my response, even though anecdotal, was that if if I'd been speaking to this particular person 12 months ago, I would have been kind of 50-50. Like, yeah, there are a few people around that you might be able to get interested. You probably have to go offshore Whereas speaking to anyone like that today, you'd be saying, well, I know at least a handful of investors that are keen to do it. I know a handful of advisors that can talk you through it. I know a whole bunch of other searchers that have done it before and they can help coach you through the process. Like, I think you're right. We're, we're really starting to build a good base of yeah, confidence, like you say, around people that are thinking about coming to the market as well. So yeah, I, I think we're, it sounds like we're heading in the right direction, um, which is great news. So to to wrap up, the the last question, I guess, would be, you know, what do you think is next? We're basically getting to the end of 2021. You know, things kind of turn off in the next couple of months as we're kind of looking forward to Christmas and ends of lockdowns and let's not talk about that. But as we head into 2022, what do you think is next for for Search in Australia?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's the next stage in the learning process. That's what I see in 2022 because... We've got one searcher who you know Touchwood will be acquiring out of a traditional fund this last quarter. and we've got another searcher that I'm pretty confident will acquire next year. And I think there's going to be a, a real next stage in the evolution of the learning of searches in Australia because they'll they'll be looking at these traditional funded searches. Uh, and we have Rob of course who acquired a month or two ago. And all of a sudden, we've got a handful of searchers that have deployed a traditional funded approach or a hybrid of that funded approach and acquired a business. So we've got success stories in that respect. And I think that's going to take the, the community and the searchers to another level of awareness in relation to this process and really help search evolve even further.
0: Mm yeah i agree and i think so ne- next year really i guess then the task for us across that kind of group is to really take those uh, let's call them hero stories effectively and try and get those to the market to say look he- here is what it looks like to go from end to end and it does work so that Absolutely. then you can start to attract more searches to the market so that's fantastic so thanks very much for your time, Nima. It was excellent to chat to you. I'm glad that you'll be able to s- still find a time today to squeeze in the surf that you need to do because you've mm-hmm. got to keep that track record going. You're on a streak, so, but only halfway through. I'm sure you can make it. But thank you very much for, the, for that insight into the legal lens because I think there are a lot of people for whom that legal context is quite challenging. So understanding that there are some people that have put some thought into it is really valuable. We'll make sure that we put all your links in the notes so that people can reach out if they've got any questions. But yeah, it was great to have you on board. Thank you very much. Pleasure, Pete. Thanks for making the time. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more, please jump onto LinkedIn and find the group Search and ETA Australasia. You can also send me a direct message and I'd be keen to connect.